Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 20. Yeah, we changed it. Everybody that had it marked beforehand, oh, they say, man, I had it almost filled out too. I see different ones uh, filling out the outline before because they're not very complicated. And and then uh, when I do that, everybody goes, ha. That's all right. John chapter, uh, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. And it's the first evening of the resurrection. Okay. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Thomas, uh, called one of the twins of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Let's pray. Father, as we... uh, Come before you tonight. Will you make your word come alive for us? And, Father, teach us as only you can. Uh, We're very aware that without your Holy Spirit teaching us, there is no teaching that takes place, no preaching. And, Father, we want you to be uplifted and glorified, so let your word go out with power. And, Lord, you accomplish what you want with it. Help us to be uh, uh, receptive. Father, help us to be obedient, so we'll be faithful doers and not forgetful hearers of your word. And Lord, as you do this for us, we'll praise your holy name just for gathering here together to worship you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I want to talk a little bit tonight about confidence. And confidence in a specific way. Confidence for soul winning. I believe that most of us lack confidence when it comes to soul winning. As a matter of fact, if we boil down the number one reason why people don't tell others about Jesus is one simple word, fear. I hear it all the time. Well, what if I say something wrong? What if I drive them further away? What if they slam the door in my face? Well, they might slam the door. You might get a, a funny little name attached to it, too, as they say bad words. But it's okay. It really is. And so... Uh, rather than have fear, you need to understand what fear does. See, fear erects barriers. And fear immobilizes God's people. Fear turns attention from the outside to the inside. Fear makes me focus on me rather than on Jesus. We need to understand that. Fear defeats soul winning. Okay? Because fear... uh, Let's us focus on self rather than on the Savior. And so what do we do about that? I want you to know that Jesus takes the fear out of winning souls. Jesus takes the fear out of soul winning. We're going to look at that. And I want to see several things in this passage. First of all, in verses 19 and 20, the presence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus Gives us confidence for soul winning. 
Look at verse 19 and 20 again. The presence of Jesus gives us confidence for soul winning. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, this is probably between 6 and 9 p.m. that first evening of the resurrection. And the news had probably spread by now that Mary had seen the Lord and that the women couldn't find him at the tomb. That John and Peter couldn't find him at the tomb. And, and there was that, that little clatter going on that he had risen from the dead. Not that everybody believed it. But notice it says they were assembled together and the doors were locked. The doors were locked for one simple reason, fear. They were afraid that the same men, the same ones who had orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion, would come for them next. They were afraid and probably had a good thing. So they locked the doors and hid themselves away. Okay? And then one of my favorite things is it says all at once, it says, Jesus stood in their midst. Isn't that something, Jesus in the midst? Because Jesus brings a difference everywhere he goes. And we need to understand that where we take Jesus, he makes a difference. Why do we share him with people? It's not because we feel superior. It's not out of some pharisaical thing saying they're such a terrible sinner. It's because Jesus makes all the difference in this life and the next. Okay? And we need to understand that. He's in their midst. He says, peace be with you. Now, peace is a normal greeting. But remember, Jesus had already promised them and promised us earlier in John that he would leave them and give them his peace. Not as the world gives you peace, but he gives peace. Peace at last. Peace that brings contentment in the midst of trial and suffering. Peace that lets you know in the midst of circumstances everything's going to be okay because Jesus is right there with us. And the very presence of Jesus gives us confidence for soul winning. You see, his continuing abiding presence does away with fear. It does away with fear. You remember Peter? He's the spokesman for the twelve. Yet he denied Jesus three times. He's so afraid that he doesn't even want to admit that he knows him. And yet. From that time till you get to Acts chapter 2, where he stands in front of the very ones who orchestrated politically everything that happened to Jesus. He points in their faces and he says, you killed him. You caused the Son of God to be crucified. But God raised him up from the dead. The difference, peace. The difference, the presence of Christ. The difference, he knew one who had conquered death. See, when we know Jesus, we know one who's conquered death. When we know Jesus, he promised to give us the Holy Spirit residing within us, the presence of Christ with us always. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And when we think of that, if he's not going to leave us nor forsake us, that means when we go out to witness, guess who's leading the way? Jesus. And you see, witnessing isn't just for the pastor or the deacons when Jesus is telling folks to go out and gives them the commission in Matthew 28. He's talking not only to his 12, but all those that were probably assembled in the upper room that were gathered there also. You see, he says, don't be afraid. 
See, in 1 John, I think it's 4, 8, he says, uh, perfect love cast out fear. We only find perfect love in Jesus. We only find it as we spend time with him in his word and in prayer. And as we walk with him, we find out that he never leaves us, that he always takes care of us, that he guides us in every step of the way. And suddenly when that finally light kicks on, we realize he's with us even in that witnessing situation. And he opens doors for us and says, won't you come in? And we have to decide, are we going to have that peace of Christ or let fear rule our lives? We're going to go where he says to go or back up and say no. Only we decide. Do we have the confidence in Jesus to go? Because we know he's with us. His presence should give us the confidence for soul winning. The second thing that I see is in verse 21. The program of Jesus gives confidence for soul winning. The program of Jesus. Now, look at verse 21. He says it this way. Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. There's the program. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. It says, as he has, is in like manner, for the same purpose, for the same mission. He looks at us and says, you don't have to die on the cross. I did that. But the Father sent me to seek that which was lost. Because Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. He told us that if we'd follow him, we need to take up our cross and deny ourselves daily and follow him. He says, in like manner, for the same purpose, I send you. See, that's really John's great commission. The other three gospels have their version of it. John's great commission is right here. He says, as the Father have sent me, in like manner, for the same purpose, I send you. He's sending them out. We understand that. You see, it was our marching orders. It's our charter as a church. As the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus sends me. Jesus sends you. That's his program in the same manner. You see, Jesus sent us all. He sends us to love others. He sends us to tell others about him. He sends us to bring The good news that everyone needs to hear. What is that good news? That Jesus came, that he died on the cross in my place, in your place. That he was buried, that he rose the third day. After 40 days, he ascended to the Father, and one day he's coming back. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to meet Jesus? That's the good news. You see, we need to understand that if we don't tell, nobody else will. You don't see a bunch of lost people going around telling other lost people about Jesus. Do you? That's ridiculous, isn't it? Because see, uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says they're in spiritual darkness. The spiritual things make no sense to them at all. Because they're spiritually discerned and they don't have a spirit. They don't have the spirit of God because they haven't been saved. You see, Ephesians 2, 1 tells us the lost are in spiritual deadness. Only the Holy Spirit can change them. Only he can draw them. We need to understand that uh, we're called, as Jesus was called, to tell others about the love of the Father, about Jesus' love, okay? And it's not just about programs. It's not just about fellowship. It's not just about building buildings. The church exists to tell the love of Christ to a lost world. If we lose that, if we lose that, now hear me, if we lose that, we cease to be a church. 
Most mainline denominations are declining. Southern Baptists are falling in that direction. Uh, the easiest thing that they can tell us about it is this. We are a harvest people in the midst of an unsown generation. What that mean? We believe in the harvest coming in. We believe in giving invitation. Do you realize how many denominations don't give invitations? Even some Baptist churches. Okay. They don't. They just they don't have anything to talk about. But what they mean by that is, look, we believe in, in preaching and giving the invitation and knocking on doors. But we failed to sow the seeds for a harvest. We failed to tell others about Jesus. You see, in the good old days, anybody remember the good old days? In the good old days, you just have a revival and you put it up on your sign and everybody came to revival at least once a year. Unless they were just the worst people in the community, they came to the revival. Do you remember that? Houses used to be full, okay? And people would get saved. People don't do that anymore. So what do you have to do? You have to get out there with different ministries. You have to get out there with, 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 with the folks and sow the seeds, you know. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your coworkers. Talk to those that you do business with. And let them know that, that you're a Christian. Go to church. And as you talk to them about those kind of things, you get to share Jesus. And they may say, no, they're not interested at that point. But at some point, they're going to be calling you saying, hey, you told me that you had a relationship with God. I need help. Bingo. You sowed the seeds for a harvest. And it's that simple. It's just telling people what Jesus has done for you. How did you come to realize you were a sinner? Do you remember who was there? Was anybody there? Was it just the Bible and you? See? You, you, you tell them about that. You tell them that what you discovered was you needed a Savior. And Jesus was him. And you ask him and he did it for you. And he's been walking with you ever since and helping you in your life. And that's a witness, a testimony. One of the things that has not changed since I became a pastor 32 years ago is this. Most people will give you two minutes, two minutes to tell them about Jesus. They may say no, but they'll give you two minutes without getting upset. Now, if you go to three, they start going, <sighs> if you go to four, you're in trouble. So you ought to be able to practice your testimony in front of a mirror or in front of your spouse or in front of whoever will listen to you and have it down in two minutes. How you came to recognize you were, say, you were a sinner. How you came to recognize that Jesus was the answer. And how you accepted Christ. Those three points is all you have to have. Throw in John 3.16 and you got a testimony. And you should be able to do that in two minutes or less. Do we understand that? See, that's the program of Jesus. We're all to be involved. When I was at seminary, the best thing I did, the first year I was there, Elizabeth and I weren't married yet. She was still finishing school, and I was in my first year. And, and I worked as a bellman at night at the Hilton in between uh, Dallas and Fort Worth near the airport. And I knew when I'd go to drive and pick people up, because they'd let me drive the limousine out there and pick people up at night, unless it was a big group, and then I'd drive the, the bus they had out there and pick people up. I had exactly three and a half minutes to introduce myself, find out where they was from, and share Jesus before we pulled up, and they were ready to get off that bus. Okay. And you'll be surprised what you can do in three and a half minutes. Okay. And uh, that was just good practice for me. I think God put me there. That's why I said it was the best thing I did. Because believe me, it was a bad place to work. It was spiritually dark. But it was good for me to be there. To learn how to handle that. So you see, we have uh, the presence of Jesus. And we have the program of Jesus. But the main thing we have in verses 22 and 23 is the power 
of Jesus. See, the power of Jesus should give us confidence for soul winning. It says in those verses in 22 and 23. I can get to them. It says, and he said this, and he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. And Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. You see, we need to understand that it's not about you and it's not about me. Okay? If I, if I save somebody, they're still lost. If you save somebody, they're still lost. Only the Holy Spirit brings about regeneration. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings people to him and draws them. It may be a sense of a need or an emptiness in their life. It may be a traumatic event or some, something that's really going wrong. And they, they sense that need and they began to look for something. And if we're not there with the gospel, they'll find something because the devil will give them other things to fill that hole. It won't last long, but they'll latch on to it. You see, we are the most spiritually open generation right now. You heard I said spiritually open. that has ever been. That's good news and bad news. The bad news is they're open to anything and they don't really want to hear about Jesus. The good news is they're spiritually open. You just keep telling about Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work. Because they're looking for things. They look everywhere, something that's real, something that will make a difference, something that is relevant to their life. And that's why it's so important that we live Christianity and they see that what we say matches our lifestyle and they like the look. I think it was the same way in Paul's day. They had God after God, temple after temple in all these towns, and yet it didn't make a difference in these lives. They felt dry inside. They felt dead inside. They didn't feel forgiven inside. Doing all this was not working. And they were drawn first to Judaism with the one true God. And then when they heard about Jesus, whoa, the light turned on. But you see, he told them they're going to receive power. And it pours out fully. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter begins to speak. All of them hear the mighty rushing wind. Okay. If you wonder what that sounds like, listen to a tornado. That's my opinion. You do whatever you want to. Okay. Maybe been louder than that. It was loud enough that everybody in town went to where they heard it coming from and said, what's going on? Said, some of them said they're drunk. He said, no, we're not drunk. This is what God said. He'd pour out his spirit upon people in the book of Joel. And they said, well, how is it that we all now notice it wasn't about what they were speaking or the language they were speaking. How is it we hear in our own language? It was a miracle of the hearing. God enabled them to hear whatever, they, whatever the Judeans were speaking, they were hearing. Now, they might have been speaking those dialects. I don't know. But the, he lists the, the, all the nations around uh, Jerusalem that were there. And they heard the good news about Jesus. And revival broke out. You see, it was the power of God that gave them confidence to stand up and preach Jesus. Later on, uh, Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. And it says they said they took notice they'd been with Jesus. Okay. And they tell them, don't teach or preach anymore in his name. He said, we can't do that. We have to teach what we've seen, what we've heard. They went in that power and another revival breaks out. See, the Holy Spirit empowers us for witnessing, for effective witnessing. I don't believe there's any uh, witnessing apart from Him. You see, we need to understand that 
Now, now I want you to hear this. One true mark of Christians who are maturing in their faith, they share Jesus. Now, there's other marks. They know their Bibles. They pray. They serve. But I want to tell you something. You want to know if somebody really believes in Jesus, if somebody really, really believes in Jesus, watch what they do in witnessing. Because when you really know Jesus, the Jesus that they saw here, that appeared in their midst and they were glad to see him, aren't you glad when you feel Jesus' presence here? Aren't you glad when you feel him moving? Aren't you glad when the Spirit moves? But you see that one mark that sets apart what I believe are mature Christians from others. They share their faith. You never really got to meet my father-in-law. I wish you had have. He was a character. That's saying it mildly. Uh, You know, I golfed with him every week. I don't care anything about golfing. It was fun to be with Brother Kreese. We get out there and we meet this group. I think I've shared this story before. And they're the, they're the group that gets a little more excited. And we, he says, fellas, we need to pray. Now, they'd been dogging us about Baptists not believing in the Spirit and stuff. That's not true. And so he, he winked at me and said, fellas, we got to pray. We got right down there on the green. So everybody could see us on the golf course holding up the guys behind us. I'm sure they were real happy. And he, he begins to pray, said, oh, fellas, we've got to get lower. And so there we are, prostrated. He says, Lord, as you look down us, on us with our hineys in the air. He said that. Forgive us of our pride. <laughs> I think the other two got the message. They wouldn't golf with us anymore that day. <laughs> uh, he's the one that uh, we golfed. And, um, some guy drove the green. I mean, smacked that ball about 400 yards. Big old boy. And so mine went like it usually does, yep, right over in the woods. And so he said, Gary, take him to find your ball. So we went and found a ball. He went and got his ball off the green and moved it because right off the side of the green was a big rock about that big. And he put it behind there because all day long he'd been telling us, play it where it lies. And so he looked at him and said, Gene, play it where it lies. He said, it didn't end up there. He said, well, Gene, it's behind there now. Well, what did you do to it? He said, well, it might have been a foot wedge, but. But the one thing that I appreciated in all the times we went to that golf course, Brother Creese never failed to share with somebody about Jesus. God always had some meeting on a, on a green or at the clubhouse with the professional or we'd stop and, get, and take a drink and get a candy bar. There was always somebody there that he was supposed to meet, and he looked for that somebody. Everywhere I went with him, you know, we need to go visit this person. Well, why? well God just told me to go visit him. Sure enough, they were ready. He always knew about divine appointments because he wasn't afraid to share because he knew the power of the gospel. He had seen it put too many lives together, and I loved him because of that. The question I have for me and for you is, do we meet our appointments? As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. A harvest people in the midst of an unsown generation. Unsown. We haven't been putting the word out. See, because surely as all the rest of the word is true, so is it when he says, you shall be witnesses to me 
in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What about you? You afraid to soul win? I understand that. It's not my nature just to knock on the door cold turkey and start witnessing. I've done it. It's not my favorite way of doing it. I'd like to meet people and try to uh, befriend them a little bit before I share. But sometimes it's just whatever God wants. But maybe you need to come tonight just with a simple rededication here at the altar. You don't have to talk to me. But just say, God, help me to be the witness you want me to be. Don't have to be Billy Graham. Don't have to preach in front of people. Don't have to be an evangelist. But I have to share with those I know. And I need your understanding and your power and your presence to finish your program. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. You don't have a testimony because you don't know when he saved you because you're not saved and you need to surrender to that today. Maybe you need to come and have other decisions. I don't know, but God knows. So I'm going to lead this word of prayer, and then we're going to stand. Brother Ronnie's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation, and you come as God wants you to come. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for everybody's attention. Thank you that they're here. They could have been anywhere else. They're here because they love you, and because they love you, they want others to know about you. And so, Father, you just be with us and let us make the decisions public that would honor you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.